This is Cinema Activist, the official podcast of Lion's Den Productions, for filmmakers and cinephiles who crave context. So today my guest is Eleanor Goldfield. Eleanor is a filmmaker whose film Hard Road of Hope came across my radar and it's a very important story. I'm glad that you're you're telling it, that you've told it. Uh, but you're not just a filmmaker, you're a podcaster, you're a poet, a musician, journalist, creative radical. So thanks. For all those things. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Thank you. How are you? I'm hanging in there. How about you? Good. Uh, you know, all things considered, right? Yeah. Could be a shit ton worse. Yeah. Phew. So are you from West Virginia? Where are you from, Eleanor? What's your story? What's your background? I am not from West Virginia. Um, I am from, I'm partially from North Carolina and partially from Sweden. All right. Excellent. Well, what made you want to tell this story of coal miners and workers and citizens and what they're facing with these industries in West Virginia? What drew you to West Virginia in these people? Did you have any connection? Um, well, kind of. Uh, so I've, I've been doing frontline journalism work for basically since 2010 or so. Um, and I felt that it was very important when I could to get to the places where the story was happening because one of my biggest qualms, I have many, one of my biggest qualms with corporate media is that they'll just say shit that they have no proof of. Um, and they'll be like, I heard this from somebody, so it must be true. Um, and not only is that you know, fake news, but it also silences the people who are on the front lines whose stories need to be told. So a lot of this really came into, uh, came into play because a lot of my work was supporting in frontline trainings and frontline blockades, either of pipelines or other dirty energy projects. So, you know, I'd go to places like Louisiana or Pennsylvania. Um, and so I first became interested in West Virginia as uh, as a as a place of you know destruction at the hands of uh, of both the coal companies but also at the hands of oil and gas. And I thought this sort of shift that was happening was interesting from a very morbid perspective. Um, and I wanted to learn more about it. I also wanted to challenge something that I had heard growing up in North Carolina, which was, you know, oh, like things might be bad, but it's not West Virginia kind of thing. Like it was always the butt end of jokes. And um, for for uh, for like North Carolina, if you're the butt end of jokes, like something's gone really bad. <laughs> so I wanted to know like how bad could it really be? Um, yeah. And I mean, pretty much as soon as I got there, I realized that yes, West Virginia has been really since its founding a resource colony and home to all kinds of, corporate malfeasance and industrial destruction and oppression of the people and communities there. But it's also an incredible story of radical organizing and solidarity. 
uh, that doesn't get talked about at all. So I really felt like uh, th these stories needed to be told, not by me, but kind of through me. Um, I always feel like it's important to not tell people's stories because, you know, it's not mine. You know, I don't, I'm not from West Virginia. So I wanted to make sure that there was space for these folks to tell those stories um, and to, you know, inspire other folks like around the, not just around the country, but, but outside of it as well. Like we all share this, this history of, uh, of being used by, you know, you being used for profit. Um, and there's a lot of space for solidarity there across industries, across cultures. Um, and West Virginia showed us how to do that. Yeah. I mean, one of the takeaways and, and the people, um, that you feature, uh, are, are great choices. I, I want to, um, you know, they're well-versed, well-spoken. They really fill in that history. Um, and I want to get to, you know, how you found them, um, in your journey. But I think, um, by the end of the film, the question that I was asking myself, because, uh, you know, learning from history is so important, yet it seems to be that we just keep making the same mistakes over and over again, right? Um, but the strength of the labor movement and the protest movement, and my takeaway was like, how do we get labor unions and environmentalists like talking together again? I mean, I know that they are in communities, um, you know, by necessity, but on a, on a broad, um, scope, it seems like that's kind of like the missing piece. Do you kind of feel like that as well? Like, especially after the experience of making this documentary? Absolutely. I think you definitely hit the nail on the head there. I think, and, and one of the folks in the, in the movie talks about this, Terry Steele, who's a former, um, uh, a former mine worker and is a member of the UMWA, the United Mine Workers of America. And he brings this up. He's like, environmentalists will come here and think that we don't know what climate change is, or we don't know, like we don't understand. And this is a classic occurrence of like, you know, the well-meaning liberal or the well-meaning white person as, uh, as Martin Luther King Jr. put it, uh, coming into a place and being like, let me tell you what you don't know. It's like, hey, why don't you shut up and listen for a second? Because I bet you they do know. Um, yeah, they're and, living it every day. Right. right. And it's like when your choices are to either be homeless or work in a coal mine, I think the vast majority of human beings would choose to work in a coal mine. Uh, and to understand that these are, the, these are the choices facing people. It really is a mono economy. Uh, in in West Virginia, both in terms of the coal region, which is more towards the south, and in the fracking region, which is now more towards the central and north part of the state. But I think that, you know, that's a very important part. And one of the things that I was hoping to highlight with the film is like, hey, maybe if we as environmentalists would walk into these spaces and be like, hey, what do y'all need? Yeah. Like, how can we facilitate the just transition of working in a greener economy to ensure that y'all still have these well-paying you know, union jobs as opposed to just walking into a space and being like, y'all are evil because you work in coal. It's like, yeah. well, you're not going to get anybody to listen to you if that's it's not a good starting point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. It's yeah. It's so interesting. Like watching the, um, like the democratic primaries for, you know, presidential season and how Pennsylvanians were talked about, like, like so pro fracking, right? Like it's interesting how the media, uh, you know, and just kind of like 
the party, like the Democratic Party and stuff, they um, just kind of throw everybody in a bucket. And that's what you are. You know, you're a coal miner. Uh, you're a fracker. And, um, you know, there's no no gray area and there's no room there for like nuance or actual conversation. It's like, yeah. And you I, I thought like you, you did a great job in your film of highlighting that like these these folks that live in Pennsylvania or West Virginia that you know, live with and off the land and feel very strongly about it, um, they're not going to be pro-fracking or they're not going to be pro-mining, but they get lumped into that same like hillbilly category of like, oh, well, y'all are just rural idiots. You wouldn't know. I guess you vote for Trump and I guess you love poisoned water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what have you? Like, well, that's not a great starting point. <laughs> no. So about the people um, that are that you interview um, in your film, how did you tell, walk me through a little bit of the process. So through your experiences with journalism, um, you know, and, and all of the other things that you do, you decide, okay, West Virginia, I, I think this is where I'm going. I want to tell this story. I mean, kind of, kind of walk through like our listeners who are filmmakers that maybe, you know, are wanting to launch their first project. Like, What's a little bit of your workflow and your timeline as far as research and outreach and, and things like that? So I actually, I, I, I was very lucky because a lot of this fell in the lap of uh, one of the people that shows up at the end of the film, Jen Deerenwater, who's an indigenous journalist. And she had actually reached out to me about West Virginia specifically um, because she says she wanted to go home. Uh, the Southern parts of West Virginia are historically Cherokee land and she had not been so she wanted to go and uh, i had been thinking about west virginia for you know quite some time and i just mm -hmm. thought hey well this would be a nice like nice uh you know serendipitous moment to you know split the costs and um and have a buddy to drive down there with uh so it kind of happened um you know a, a, a lot in large part thanks to her um, and she had reached out to some folks as well. And so we kind of pooled resources there. And, you know, we've both done frontline journalism for quite some time. So between the two of us, it wasn't really that hard to, you know, reach out to a couple of people. Oh, do you know anyone? Oh, yeah, I know this great person. Oh, okay. Um, and I also wanted to, I wanted to avoid trying to find too many people to start with, because I think especially if you're trying to tell a story without like stacking it to make it to, you know, as you like it. Um, then I felt that it was important to, to, to kind of meet folks when I was there as well. So once I was there and I talked to some folks, they were able to be like, Oh, Hey, you should talk to so-and-so. Sorry. You should talk to so-and-so. Um, and, you know, drive down there and he'll meet you. And uh, you know, a couple of the people that are in the film just happened to be, you know, hanging around that day. And they said, Oh yeah, well, I have a fracking story. There's a compressor station close to where we live. And I was like, can we hang out and talk for a bit? Yeah. Um, and this, th that was also part of the thing is like, there is hardly anybody in West Virginia that hasn't been impacted either. But I mean, predominantly coal because it's been there for so long since the creation of the state. But also, if you move up to the, you know, the middle or the, the, the upper parts of the state, fracking is everywhere. Um, and the industry has done a really good job using the same playbook as coal used uh, to needle its way into the culture and the conscience of, uh, of, of people who live there so that they really 
they don't just rely on it for money, but they kind of feel connected to it. Oh, like this is our, this is our, our energy sector, right? Like we kept the country running through coal and now we're keeping the country running through fracking. Um, that same, same trope is being reused by the oil and gas industry. Uh, so it's, it's definitely, uh, it, it, it's, it's definitely something that is hard to avoid um, when you're just wandering around there. And of course I, you know, people have brought up like, oh, well, why didn't you talk to, to the people who work in the fracking industry? And, and that's because I, we already know what the industry line is. So I don't feel the need to highlight that in a film. Right. I think what's we've, really heard, we've heard that a lot. <laughs> right. Um, just turn on any corporate media and you'll see bridge fuel um, smattered across the, the lower third there. So I felt that it was important to hear from folks uh, who don't get their voices heard. And this was something that another person in the film highlighted, uh, Linda, Linda Ireland, who's a former teacher, said that, you know, you really feel like no one's listening because the industry doesn't want to hear it from you. And then you go to your, your, uh, your politicians and they're bought and paid for, so they don't want to hear it either. Uh, and so she said, you know, you really feel like you're screaming into a void. And so obviously those are the voices that need to be uh, that need to be heard. The folks who don't feel like they have um, any agency. Yeah. It's difficult to fight against the jobs message too, right? Like that's in a lot of these places. So I'm in Erie, Pennsylvania, like Northwestern Pennsylvania, which is uh, where we filmed. And fortunately until they start drilling like the Utica shale, like until they get that desperate, which hopefully things change before then, but there's like no Marcellus in our county. Um, but the jobs thing is, you know, when you have uh, communities that are so desperate, right, and they're struggling and it's low wages, it's not a lot of job options, um, it seems to be that's, that's the trap is that, uh, you know, where you kind of get that sense of pride that you're talking about, like, these are jobs. These are good American jobs, you know, like hard work, grit, determination. We're fueling the nation, like everything you were just saying. It's it's a it's a tough message to compete against when, um, you know, one is giving you a paycheck and the other one is like retraining, like, you know, like seems like ephemeral a little bit because the messaging just isn't as strong. They haven't been around for 100 years, you know. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think it's hard too, because that's not, I think a lot of, and you know, myself included, you know, envision a world where we won't need jobs and, you know, we can sure. all follow our passions, but it's like, that can't be your messaging when you walk into a place that's, you know, to been tied to the coal industry for the past hundred and something years. Um, so it's important to shift that messaging and then talk about like, you know, and 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 again, uh, so, uh, someone in the film mentions this too. He's like, "You want to you want to make an environmentalist? I'll tell you how you make an environmentalist. You put five hundred coal miners at work in a sustainable plant, right?" And and he says they whip a coal miner's ass after you know a year or two, and that basically like that's that that's the whole point is that a lot of people, you know, I don't know anyone who wants to die of black lung, um, but I think there's a lot of the uh, there's a lot of cognitive distance and there's a lot of rationalization that happens and I think a way for these people to survive has been to connect themselves with the culture of coal mining to basically make an excuse for their own mm -hmm. decimation you know not not to speak of the land but just your own personal decimation of your body and your health 
Um, so I think understanding that is really is really key, and talking about it in a way that, you know, these folks. Uh, th these folks aren't just being told, oh, we're going to, you know, sometime down the road, we'll figure it out. And it's like, well, what am I supposed to do in the meantime to feed mm -hmm. my kids? And uh, so I think like the the way that that we talk about it has to change. And another point that's brought up in the film is that, uh, you know, we are very strongly anti certain things like we're anti fracking, we're anti coal, which is great. But what are you for? Mm -hmm. You know, you have to know what you're fighting for. Otherwise, you can't just be be the antithesis of something that's not actually a stance so it's important to highlight what we're for and so there are you know organizations that work on you know talking about the importance of renewable energy and talking about hey these mountaintops that have been decimated that you can't actually totally reclaim because you've just destroyed the ecosystem yeah. um, but hey that would be a great place for like a localized wind farm or a localized solar farm because it's like on the top of what was once was a mountain so let's mm -hmm. talk about like how we can shift this in, in, a, in a way that like actually seems active and proactive as opposed to, well, you know, screw coal. Okay. And like, right. what is the other part of that sentence? Right. Exactly. Like we need to give people hope and we need to inspire them and feel like, um, you know, they can be part of the process and the decision-making. Right. Um, it's, yeah, it's something uh, like the word consent, the, the concept of consent is something that, um, been thinking about a lot lately because the communities uh, don't really have a say in any of these industries. Like, for example, in Erie right now, um, we're kind of being pushed through. A, there's like a plastics processing, yeah. a massive plastics processing plant um, that's being pushed through right now. And the way that we all found out was uh, a big insurance company in our region is an investor and the way it was picked up by the media was like pretty much just running press releases for this potential recycling facility and the name of the company is international recycling group it's like the most generic name and so that's one of the things we're fighting here but it's like they announced it as 50 new jobs Sure. There's going to be 50, 50 jobs and we're going to recycle. And so right away, you know, the messaging is out there. And so, yeah, it's like educating people that plastic re recycling is not really a thing. And what this plan is planning to do is flake all the useless plastic that you that's never going to be recycled, mm -hmm. ship it across Lake Erie to Canada where they're going to incinerate it and use it in the production of steel as like a Coke <laughs> alternative. It's like the worst thing ever. And it's just feeding why they're doing it, right? It's just to, so that we can keep drilling so that we can, you know, like just keep it going, keep it going. We'll just, we'll just make more. We'll just burn it. Oh, God, it that's awful. It's, that's it's awful. awful, but it's like, you know, if, if you don't, to your point, if you don't present alternatives, if you don't involve people, if you don't do things differently than what we're all used to, right? Like having no consent, like having no say, like just this is happening. There's going to be 50 jobs. They're not going to be great for your health. They're not going to be great for the environment, but they're 50 jobs. Yeah, we need to, we need to give people hope. We need to educate people that there are alternatives, that there are other ways to think about industry in these communities. 
Hello listener, John Lyons here, one of the filmmakers behind the new fracking horror film, Unearth. Unearth follows two neighboring farm families whose relationships are strained when one of them chooses to lease their land to a natural gas company. In the midst of the growing tension, the land is drilled and something long dormant and terrifying, deep beneath the earth's surface, is released. The film stars the legendary Adrienne Barbeau and Buffy alum Mark Lucas. I don't think you guys are seeing the full picture. Catherine, look around you. You got a highway at the back of your field now. And where's your dairy business? Huh? In my farm? The world is leaving us behind. But if you make a tree good, its fruit will be good. You make a tree bad, its fruit's gonna be bad. We don't need fucking fruit. We need a miracle. Yeah. George. Hey, Catherine. You make the decisions that's best for your family. I'll make the decisions that's best for mine. Unearth takes a dramatic, slow-burn approach to the real-world horrors facing many of us today in the tall shadows of big industry. Starting July 6th, Unearth is available to buy or rent on all the major VOD platforms, including Amazon Video, Apple Movies, YouTube and Google Play, Vudu, Xbox, and Fandango Now. For more information about Unearth, go to unearthmovie.com, where you can also find the soundtrack, poster, shirts, and pre-order the Extras Pack Blu-ray later this summer. Thanks for supporting Indie Film, and now, back to the show. It's so insidious, too, because uh, in one of the places uh, that we, we went, we drove through in uh, in West Virginia, where in, in fracking country, they had just built a brand new high school they being mm. the fracking industry oh man yeah. they had a football field that looked like you know an, an nfl football field and they had like they had olympic style weight rooms they had you know like they had made and they're like you know four people that go to this high school because it's west virginia it's the second most rural state in the nation like there are not that many people going to this high school but they like the fracking industry just created this state-of-the-art you know, wow. in, in particular, the athletics department, state of the art. And, you know, then it's th that's something else to point to. Like, look, they just I mean, look how much they care about our community. They care, uh, they care um, about our children. Right. And of course, you know, meanwhile, the you know, the person that I was that I was uh, in the car with pointed out that they had destroyed uh, through drilling. They had destroyed it. They had destroyed a, a community uh, park. And they destroyed like, and, and there was, you know, like a little uh, jungle gym there and, you know, nice green areas. And they had promised to put that back to the way it was like four years ago and they still haven't done it. But mm. in the meantime, they've built like a massive stadium. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just like, so it's so stereotypical, like the yeah. PR machine, um, like look shiny, shiny and jobs. Um, and, you know, in, in reality, at the same time, they're, you know, poisoning water and poisoning people and poisoning land and completely glossing over, you know, the like, you, you could give anybody a job doing anything. You could give a guy a job, you know, like walking around my apartment yelling obscenities. Like that, <laughs> that could be a job if you just pay him to do it. Like, could be amusing for like a day or two, maybe. Right? Like, but the, the idea that like jobs have to be a certain thing is is part of the problem of you know the programming and and so you know the idea that 
you know, we could get jobs like reclaiming the places that have been destroyed by industry, which would require more than 50 jobs anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that would be like, a, that would be, a, you know, a new deal status uh, investment. Right. That would be thousands of jobs for, you know, the foreseeable future. Yeah, it's like a, a a new imagining of industry. I'm a big Green New Deal person, so I don't know about <laughs> you, but you got to speak the language of jobs, right? It it is yeah. for me. That's that's the right alternative. You got to go with jobs. How did you decide, um, or did you always decide to be kind of? Um, I don't know if you want to call it the narrator, but you can tell for sure that you know you're you're good with verse. There is a, you know, there's a nice pace. Um, the tone is great. Like, how did you decide to um, be a part of this project yourself? Was that early on? Was that a necessity later in the editing process? I'm curious. It was a necessity. I didn't really want to. Um, par- partially because I, I don't, I, I hate transitions. I'm so bad at them. I never know how to transition from one thing to the next. Oftentimes in conversation, I will just hop over to something next, like new because I'm done with the, <laughs> the former topic. Um, and so I, I'm just not very good at transitions. So as the film started coming together, which of course was, you know, a few months after I had been to West Virginia, uh, I realized there were these holes <laughs> where I needed... Sure. Some, I needed some glue. I needed a bridge. Uh, and I didn't have the ability to go back and film to create that bridge. So I, I, I realized that it was a bit of a necessity. And uh, I, and so that it, I, I, at first I thought like, oh, well, maybe I could ask folks from West Virginia to like write something and then read it. And it, it just, I, I it started getting to like art project. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I realized like, look, the most important thing is that the message comes across and the interviews that I have are really powerful. And I don't want to like, I don't want to diminish them by trying to con- like trying to construct something in between that doesn't really feel natural and right. Um, so I figured, okay, fine. Like I, you know, I have acting experience. I can be in front of a camera uh, comfortably. I will be the the transition. Um, and understanding that it, it, you know, a few people who have reviewed the film have said like, those are the weakest parts, which I agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I didn't know how else to transition. So yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't my first choice. Um, and I think like looking ahead to uh, the next project that I do, I'm going to try to avoid being in it if I can. Okay. I didn't know if you were going for like a Michael Moore, you know, Josh Fox kind of, okay. No, no. And I don't, I mean, I don't have a problem with Michael Moore. Josh Fox is another story, but I like, I didn't want it to be about like, oh, this is Eleanor's perspective because I, it, you know, I no, I wanted them to talk for themselves. And so I, yeah, I, I wanted it to be not about me. And I wanted to be like the, the platform and the, you know, the person presenting the stories, but I didn't want it to be about me. That's understandable. I understand the conflict there. Personally, for me, I thought it worked and it did make it um, unique uh, as far as, you know, in documentaries, you sometimes can get a little talking heady, you know, and it's, it did, it did break things up and it did provide structure. Um, so I think, you know, if, if you weren't in there, yeah, I think it would have been problematic, but um, 
yeah, it, it, I think it, I don't know, for me, it worked. I, I, I'm, you know, <laughs> when you set out to make a project, uh, you're constantly thrown challenges, right? And you have to like adapt on the fly and pivot constantly. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, this is, this was one of your challenges to have to figure out. So, um, yeah, but I wouldn't beat yourself up about it. I think that, uh, <laughs> I think that it works and it made it feel unique and it made it feel personal. That's why I was curious if you were from West Virginia, because it, it kind of felt like to me, like, um, maybe like returning home. And I don't know, I, I like the kind of ang like the underlying anger in your delivery. Thank it you. worked. Well it I worked mean, for I, me. I'm coming good. from that place myself, so maybe good. that's why. You, you, you saw, you heard that uh, that solidarity anger there, yes. and I, I think I definitely, you know, I'm reminded of um, uh, something that uh, that uh, someone said to me when I was in I was in Southern Illinois, um, and uh, this, I, for the life of me, I can't remember the name of the tribe. I'm sorry. Um, I want to say Shoshone, but that might not be correct. Um, but he was, uh, he was, he's an elder and I, you know, we were out walking and, uh, I was just amazed at how beautiful, uh, the Shawnee forest. Oh, he's Shawnee. Okay. Uh, the Shawnee going. forest was, and this beautiful lake and it was absolutely gorgeous. And, you know, he said to me, he, he said, you know, if you love my home as much as I do, then you are always welcome here. And I mm. get you as a, as a sister. Um, and I was like, well, I don't know if I could ever love it as deeply or complexly as you do, but I love it. That's for sure. Um, and so I think that as somebody who started doing environmental work when I was 13, I, I feel, I, I get very connected to natural spaces very quickly. Um, I've been hugging Agreed. trees since I was a child and I still do. Um, and so I think, I think it's easy for me to feel that, uh, that like deep connection to a place after a very short amount of time and therefore anyone and anything rather, uh, any industry that's trying to destroy that, I immediately go like full Jewish mother anger <laughs> and like, you know, I, it doesn't take me very long to get really riled <laughs> up, which, yeah. you know, is why I did a lot of, you know, frontline uh, frontline action work uh, against things like pipelines, um, even in places that I'm not at home in, like the swamps of Louisiana, I'm, I'm definitely a Nordic person. So sitting in the hot swamps of Louisiana in July is not something that comes naturally to me. Um, but even there, just looking out at the, like the ecosystems and understanding how fragile they are and how beautiful they are, you know, for the animals that are comfortable living there, uh, mm -hmm. which is not me. But um, for the ones that are comfortable living there, like I felt very strongly about protecting and doing what I could to stand in the way of the destruction. So even though I'm not from West Virginia, I, I mean, just driving through there and, you know, we, I, we did uh, a lot of aerial shots, too. It's breathtaking, especially in the fall. I mean, the colors yeah, are like yeah. absurd. <laughs> it's like yeah. the stereotype of autumn. Um, and it was just so beautiful and to see, you know, what it, what it could have been, what it could still be if we could, you know, get our shit together 
it just made me feel very strongly about uh, about doing what I could to protect it. So yeah, no, the the, the anger is is definitely real. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. Back uh, just a moment to the history. There were some interesting things that. Um, you know, I guess I didn't know or didn't even realize, but uh, you were talking about um, the coal industry and where they were kind of like scouting um, workers. I thought that was interesting, like going to the immigrant populations and bringing them to the mines. And then um, what's some of the other stuff I remember? Oh, so they again this is kind of back to the labor unions the strength of the labor unions we need you again um <laughs> is how they segregated the workers but the workers still managed um to meet and work together and then it, what was it like in the 1920s or 1930s that there was uh i'm trying to think like equal they had equal rights and the wages for whites and blacks and everywhere in between um were the same across the board, like, I know. hallelujah, like, like what happens, you know? Yeah, it's really remarkable. And, the, and um, one of the co-founders of the Mine Wars Museum in Maitwan, West Virginia, Wilma, uh, was telling us the story. And she said that she had met somebody from Alabama who came to see the museum. And he was like, you're telling me that in West Virginia in the beginning of the 20th century, you had blacks and whites marching together and firing guns at coal barons and they didn't get hanged. Um, like, nope, nope. They got what they asked for, which was, you know, to be paid in American money. They Because previously they were play, being paid in scripts and, wow. uh, you know, they they got uh, better uh, better working conditions and. I mean, and th these stories are incredibly powerful. E even if it happened today, you'd be like, damn. Yeah. <laughs> but to imagine it happening more than 100 years ago, that's like absolutely mind boggling. But that is West Virginia's history. Um, and so that, you know, to use that tool as an organizing tool, I think is really powerful because I think we all, you know, humans are naturally empathetic, but we're also we also see the world from our own perspective and we feel more tied to our, you know, our lineage or our home place or what have you. So it's one thing to talk to someone in West Virginia about like, Hey, the U S has a great labor rights history. Like, look at what happened in Chicago and, da, da, da. and it's like, yeah, but what does that have to do with me? Mm -hmm. But to go to someone and be like, no, actually your grandfather and your grandmother were part of this fight. Like that hits on a different level. Uh, and it and it makes people question like the current paradigm in a different way, right? Because it's like, well, maybe my family's legacy that I'm so proud of isn't actually the legacy of propping up coal. Maybe it's the legacy of community organizing. Maybe it's the le legacy of radical solidarity. And that is, you know, that is a, a such a powerful point uh, to to bring to people. And that also is a way of of ensuring that it's not like the outsiders coming in and being like, "Let me tell you about labor history." It's like, no, 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 no. This is your history. Yeah, this is um, your story. Yeah, and uh, and and it's a story that's purposefully erased. I mean, uh, you know, Wilma grew up in Matewan, West Virginia, which is right on the Kentucky border. She went to school there. 
They never talked about the Matewan massacre. They didn't talk about the Battle of Blair Mountain. They didn't talk about the mine wars, of course, because that's just dangerous. Like, hey, kids, just uh, just in case you're curious, if you're ever really upset about something, you can just stop working and then grab some guns and shoot at the people who are oppressing you and you'll get what you want. Like, you right. can't tell kids that. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, but instead, you know, we're um, we're kind of forced this narrative of um, you're on your own, you're isolated, the fear of the other, right? Like. Of course, because if we were left to our own devices, you know, we, we would band together and we would help each other out and we would want to do things that, you know, not just benefit ourselves, but uh, be best for our neighbor as well. Um, so in that way, too, it was it was a nice surprise and um, I don't want to say shocking, but um just to hear that history um, was something I had never heard before. So um, I thought that that was fantastic. Is that something that directly came out of conversations um, with the people that you were talking to or had you researched that before? Well, I, I knew some of it because I'm a history nerd. Um, my, my father's a historian um, okay. and my mother's also a, a history nerd like the kind of person that will walk around Greece and speak in ancient Greek. Um, wow. Not that anyone understands it, but it's <laughs> entertaining for me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I, I was privileged in growing up in, in, you know, a household that was very, like, very, that very much understood the idea that your present is really just a continuation of your history. So if you don't know your history, then you don't actually know where the hell you are or what you're doing. Um, and so I've always really been intrigued by history. So I was curious, you know, I'd, I, I looked into some of the history of West Virginia, but so much of it was so deep and so like, so covered with propaganda and, you know, whitewashed, um, that I didn't really get to it before I, you know, actually went to West Virginia and to hear, you know, for instance, where the term redneck came from and yeah, yeah. And that West Virginia, not surprisingly, uh, didn't become a state because it was anti-slavery. It became a state because capitalism. Um, it was really, you know, it was really powerful to, to, to hear those stories. And I realized that, uh, you know, soon after being there that I really wanted to hone in, on the, hone in on that history. Because again, like, if we don't understand where we came from, then we can't possibly understand where we are or create and plan for a, a better future. Um, and that's kind of, you know, like that, that hard road. It's like, you have to know where, where you've been coming from. You know, it's like if somebody just plopped you down in the middle of the ocean and they didn't give you a map showing where you came from, how the hell do you know where you are? Right. Um, so I felt that it was really important to, to highlight that, that part. And people were pretty open a, about it as well. You know, like, uh, you know, people telling the story of how their families had always worked in coal, um, and then, of course, it was, you know, it was serendipitous that I was connected with people who owned or, or who would who had started a museum about right. the, the history of coal. Right. That was right. That was a lucky match. Yeah. Yeah, that was cool, too. Cinema Activist is produced by Lion's Den Productions, hosted by John C. Lyons, music by Tony Gray. Support the efforts of Lion's Den Productions by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash lionsdenproductions. Thank you for listening. 
We'll be back soon.